Hey, I'm Taylor Dorson, and this is The Professional Technical Interviewee. Technical interviews are hard, and every company does them differently. On this show, I interview engineering leaders to see what they look for in technical candidates, and then they perform a real technical interview with me. My guest today is Matt Karazin. We talk about his approach to technical interviews, what to look for while interviewing for an early career role, and what traits he's looking for in a junior engineer. Uh, my guest today is Matt Karazin, uh, who's currently a senior software engineer at Chipper, uh, but before that, a uh, longtime Chicagoland area, CTO, lead engineer, senior software engineer at a number of companies, and then now uh, located in the, the Denver area. Yeah, great to be here today. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. I know we've known each other for, for quite a while, so it's fun to sit down, and I think you've been in an interesting space of you know, truly working in a lot of interesting startups and then, um, you know, being involved in the leadership of the startups as well, which is something that uh, is a lot of work, right? <laughs> as we were talking before the call. Yeah, yeah. And through the years, I've um, changed roles a few different times. I've been in product management um, and consulting and startup leadership. And, and now I'm back much more in a uh, individual contributor, heads down, writing a lot of code every day. Yeah. Nice. Well, uh, I'd love to to talk through some of that. Any anything you want to add to your intro, or maybe share a little bit about what you do currently? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, I got my start in consulting, and I was at a huge company for five years. Um, I think it's a great way to to get started in a career, especially for people that really want to learn a lot about different subjects. And I'm really grateful for the time I spent there. And then after that, I I really took a, a U turn and I went from a huge company to really small companies. Um, I did some work with Spot Hero and then Reveal. And then lastly, I was at um, Median, which we rebranded to Budge uh, Finance at the end of the uh, startup. And through those, I was you know, initially the lead engineer and then CTO of those companies. Mm -hmm. um, so I've, I've had a blast. Um, I was part of the Chicago tech scene for quite a while, also with the Difference Engine. Um, and uh, just really uh, happy to now be able to kind of go back and share some of that experience with other people. Yeah, absolutely. That, that um, idea of going from a consulting company, you know, starting your career in that, that type of space and getting really good experience and then shifting into the more startup space was something I, I used to share with people all the time um, when I was in recruiting was if you go do that for two to three years, maybe even five years, right? Most of the time, startups then go, okay, this person could probably work out here because they're used to doing, you know, 40 plus billable hours every week. They're used to having tons of different things thrown at them. Um, as long as it's not maybe too, too siloed of uh, the type of work, usually startups are, are interested in taking a chance on those people. And it seems like that was reflected in your experience. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of um, great consulting companies out there. And they, they give you a lot of background in other areas. So the one I was with, um, they give training courses on reading people and meeting management, um, you know, understanding who makes decisions, you know, so for somebody, you know, I grew up coding, I went to coding camps as a kid, um, you know, having that opportunity to learn some of those soft skills, I thought was really important. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great. Well, I, I always ask people, uh, have you done technical interviews lately on, on either side of the, the table? Yeah. So I, I recently changed, as you mentioned. So I was interviewing with many companies. I probably did about 40 interviews over two months. Mm -hmm. um, wow. And now I'm at 
shipper cash were growing super fast. So we went from like seven engineers at the start of the year to 23 now. Um, wow. And I've been doing really some nice. interviews for them. Um, and before that, uh, you know, with these startups that I was the CTO at, um, we were constantly interviewing people and onboarding and hiring as well. Yeah. So you've been on both sides of the table. I mean, that's a pretty quick turn, right? From 40 interviews to probably doing 40 interviews in uh, as many weeks, right? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, great. And, and what are you typically evaluating for? I, I know we wanted to focus uh, a lot of our conversation around more early career engineers. Because a lot of the people that, that watch the show, I would say are in that kind of zero to three, maybe four years of experience uh, range. And like you mentioned earlier, a lot of your work or a lot of your hiring um, methods has kind of been focused around those folks as well. So guess, what are you typically evaluating for either now or in the past for people that are at that level? Right. So with the startups that I was a CTO at in Chicago, um, we, we really built a lot of the engineering team out of boot camps um, and universities and self-taught engineers. Um, and I'll admit when I, I first started with uh, interviewing, you know, I was, um, what's the, the phrase of uh, thrown into the deep end, right? You know, I was learning myself how to do interviews and, and I definitely made mistakes as I went along, right? Um, but as I went, you know, I realized, I think it was more about how do we support the person mm. and are we marching in the same direction? Right. So it wasn't so much about, you know, do they have certain skills or, or experience, but where they want to go and where we want to go, are we both going in the same direction? Mm -hmm. Right. Interesting. Well, was that a learning process of, of, you know, trial and error uh, throughout hiring? Yeah, uh, I think, you know, some of the, the early people I hired, you know, they're all off doing great things. Um, I'm very happy for it. But I do think that in hindsight, as the hiring manager, we made um, some mistakes, not on people, but on, on how we hired and how we then utilized people, right? And so part of that was understanding how do we support more junior employees, um, and, you know, as an organization, make sure that we're investing heavily into their growth, right? I think it's startups sometimes and big companies too, right? You have a, an immediate hiring need and you think about what, what sort of impact will this person bring to the team and the company? Mm -hmm. And you, you don't think as much about what sort of impact am I bringing to them, right? So yeah. part of that was just a, a shift in my thinking to focus a little bit more on um, how are we supporting this person? And where are they going to be in a year or two with us, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I know it's something you and I have talked about in the past. It, it's, it's kind of this interesting thing when you're interviewing, especially early career, right? Obviously, you want, you're, you're looking at the company and you're kind of evaluating them. But there's some part of it always is either searching maybe that first job or just searching for maybe a job that might be a little bit better than whatever the first job that you got was, right? And it is difficult, right, to evaluate, um, is this a company where I feel like I'm actually going to be supported and really hard to do during the interview process itself. I, I'm, I'm curious, though, from the, the employer side of it, um, I guess, what did you try to build or what did you try to put in place? Because that was something that I ran into my own job search quite a bit was, am I going to feel supported here or am I going to be off on my own and kind of right. just figuring things out? Yeah, so one of the important things was who is going to directly support this person mm. and not necessarily, you know, who is their manager or who is their, um, you know, buddy that they're going to sit next to, um, but more so, 
who has experience that they can share with this person in their role, right? Um, at one of the startups I was at, I was in a little bit of a COO type role where, um, you know, I, I also was kind of overseeing office operations of marketing and sales and stuff like that. And, you know, the people that we brought in, we, we need to make sure um, we had people that had done those sort of activities before, you know, how do you actually do sales at a startup, right? Mm -hmm. And to support them. Um, this was both in business roles as technical. Uh, I had brought on somebody, um, a fantastic engineer now, they've gone on to do great things in their career, but I brought them in as kind of a Android developer when I had nobody on the team that had done Android development before. And, and you know, I think that, that, you know, ultimately, like I said, that person has gone on to do great things and I'm very happy for them, but I really I had found somebody to be a technical mentor for them. Mm. So that's definitely one thing I've, I've changed is who is going to support this person in the day-to-day -day, um, actual things that they get done and give them that sort of experience to build upon. That's, that's really interesting. I don't think I've ever thought about, thought about it in that way before. I certainly had questions about, you know, who's my manager going to be uh, when I was interviewing, but not necessarily who would be there from a technical standpoint, because often, especially in engineering roles, those are going to be two different people. Right. Uh, and I guess it's helpful to have someone who actually know, knows what your role is going to be and be able to help you. Right. And, and it's hard sometimes to always provide that. Right. Especially yeah. when you're a small company and you're growing fast and, and you're actually hiring for roles that haven't existed in your company before. You're hiring for skill sets that haven't existed before. Um, and so, you know, for people out there in those situations, my advice would be, well, can you hire somebody more experienced, right? Do you have the budget or can you, um, you know, recruit somebody that does have that experience? Um, if you can't, what I've been able to do in the past is bring in um, advisors and part-time consultants to help. Mm -hmm. um, I did that with Median. Um, we hired a fantastic part-time senior engineer that actually kind of was the CTO for the first month or two. Um, we were changing, um, we were changing. So I was changing technology stacks from one company to another. Mm. And, um, I was kind of new to that technology stack. That's another story. Um, but you know, to compensate for that, I brought in a consultant basically for a couple months to provide that expertise to the team in that language and technology stack. And also to me, mm. you know, my, my responsibility as the CTO of the company wasn't necessarily to be an expert in, the technology, but to make sure the technology organization, we were moving in the right direction, right? And yeah. that our product was successful. Yeah, that's really interesting. Interesting. Do you, do you in your area, have you used some type of like standard um, system to do technicals uh, or to evaluate individuals or does it change, you know, person to person, role to role? Generally speaking, my hiring for technical roles has fallen into two categories. One is very specific skill set and needs. Mm -hmm. And two is generic engineering hiring. And, and most of it falls into that latter category. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, for that first group, um, we're really looking for something very specific. So one time I was looking for somebody that had um, experience as a React Native engineer with um, interactive data visualizations. It was a need on the team and the product that we didn't have. And so interviewing them really focused on that, you know, show me what you've done in this space before and let's talk about it, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think the more interesting one is that more generic role 
in, in that one, we've, um, the teams I've been on, we've evolved over time. Initially, it's very informal and we don't have necessarily a rubric, right? Because we're still as an organization learning what we're trying to hire for. Um, but over time, yes, I think it's, it's absolutely critical that you start to have a criteria and you can apply it across candidates and you can um, effectively scale your hiring because of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what just came to me is large consulting companies, I think have very much a structure and a system in place, maybe to a fault. Right? And that's, uh, you know, like if you check all these boxes, you're going to get an offer, right? That's usually because they're hiring a large amount of, you know, early career folks basically right out of school to work in a lot of those roles. So it's interesting. Um, and, and those are probably more generic, right? Like you're saying, they're just need engineers or people who are going to be able to do the job, you know, three months after getting hired rather than right, someone right. who's got AWS experience, you know, working on Microsoft platforms, right? Or something like that. Yeah. And, and it's definitely a, a tough balance to um, not to succumb to that. Right. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we're, especially engineers, we like process to a degree, right. And, and we yeah. continually add process and we iterate on our process. Um, and sometimes you actually have to take a step back and, and, and take away some of that process and get a little bit more leaner and more um, flexible, right? And, and that exists for hiring too. Um, I've definitely been in situations where we've had candidates that have gone a little pigeonhole in the process, yeah. right? Like we think about them in terms of a specific role and they might not check everything for that role. And we, we have to, at some point, pull them back and actually say, no, we're going to, we're going to stop our process and, and be, um, I don't know, real with the person, you know, that like, we think that this is a better focus for you. Right. So mm -hmm. instead of saying no to them overall for the role that they applied to, to being more flexible and, and working with them to find the right role for them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's obviously something that takes time, which is, <laughs> you know, the, increasingly difficult to, to find right so uh, i am curious uh if you have any um advice around you know more junior engineers who are joining companies where they're trying to evaluate them right and really asking some questions around maybe specific questions around is this going to be a good place for me to grow is this going to be a good place for me to learn because i know you mentioned you had obviously you've been through a lot of interviews recently but if you have questions that you've asked companies in the past that you're trying to kind of make sure they check certain boxes boxes or at least checking the yeah. red flags. Yeah. And so like you mentioned, we did talk a little bit about um, making sure that they're going to be able to support you in your growth. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I think a big part of this is being honest and being focused in what you want. I think a lot of us, and I've, I've been through this too. Um, it was over 10 years ago, but I applied to over 50 companies out of school. Mm -hmm. And I think I got two interviews. Um, and I think in those, those, times and you know i have a lot of friends right now looking for junior roles and and it's hard to find them right so in those mm -hmm. moments you might want to try to be very um general and you know amicable and, and really try to fit yourself to the company but i actually think you should try more to be yourself and to be um honest with what you're looking for Mm -hmm. Right. So if, if you know that you, you want to be in front end, really, really be specific about that. Right. Yeah. Um, if you, you know, we're talking a little bit about de-risking, right. If, if you have concerns over how much work do they expect me to do in this company, I would be honest with them about that. And I would ask them directly about that. Mm -hmm. um, that's always worked for me. Um, 
my last job search, I did that quite a bit with having specific questions that I asked companies, right? To make sure I was getting the right fit. Yeah. Yeah, that that reflects my early um, shift in the development world was very much I felt most jobs kind of fit into two categories, which was one, like they really were excited about me, but it's because, you know, I had a history of basically willing to throw a bunch of hours at solving problems, right? Um, which wasn't necessarily why I was shifting into development and, and kind of maybe not as interested in those companies. And then the other side was the companies that I was really excited about, but they had maybe much better structure and systems in place. So they had, they were at, uh, maybe a lot more options. Right. And it was yeah. really difficult just to figure out how honest should I be? Right. Cause you want a job, um, but you don't want to end up in a job that you're going to hate and be miserable in. Right. Right. And, and so for each person, that's a little bit different, right? We might all be looking for something. Um, you know, you, you might really care about the healthcare plan, right? Somebody else might care about how many hours, Somebody else might not care about hours, but what, when do I do the hours, right? Is it weekends? Is it during the day? Um, in my last job search, one of the things I think really helped me narrow down the fields of companies I was looking at was to have the same questions that I asked every single person in the interview process. And so for me, two of the concerns I had were um, one, work-life balance, right? How many hours and when? And the other one was um, how do leaders set goals and communicate with the rest of the organization? Mm. Um, I'm a very, you know, as an engineer, I'm very product focused, I would say more than engineers. I'm not the engineer that geeks out over, um, you know, how the language works underneath the hood. You know, I'm, I'm the engineer that geeks out over how we can use this technology for our product. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it was very important to understand how engineers and product and company goals kind of all overlapped. So what I ended up doing for, um, let's talk about maybe uh, that one first, right? Mm -hmm. For that one, I, I, my question was, can you tell me how company leadership sets and then communicates goals to the rest of the organization? Mm -hmm. And I don't think that there's one answer I was really looking for, right? I got so many different answers, but what I was looking for was consistency. Yeah. And um, that the people that were giving me the answer felt good about the answer they were giving me, mm -hmm. right? It, it's sometimes hard to really um, understand if, if how a company does something is the right way because I've only done things a few ways, right? Mm -hmm. So I have to be open to new ideas, but the people that are, giving me the answer, how they are talking about it and the feelings they are giving, that's more what I'm, I'm listening for, yeah. right? And so I guess as, as a good example, some of the companies that did really well, everybody gave me very similar answers and they gave it in a very positive way. Mm -hmm. And companies that um, didn't do so well, everybody gave me a different answer. And some people were a little bit, you know, negative in, in how they approached it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, for de-risking situations, you know, being honest, right? So actually understanding yourself and what you're looking for and communicating that to them. Two is getting lots of data points. You know, don't just ask one person, ask many people. And then three is not so much listening to um, the, 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 the information they're giving, but the body language and the feeling that they're giving about the answer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I. I think in the past, I've 
tried to ask the same type of questions and, and really for that reason, right? If I can ask the same question, this is something that I really care about to every person I interview with and they all give different answers. Um, uh, that's probably a red flag. And once, and uh, I think I'm pretty decent at, at picking up on what kind of people are, are putting out there. And you, like you mentioned, you will see someone kind of go, uh, before they answer, right? As you can kind of tell, maybe they don't actually want to be 100% truthful about that. Um, or right. they have some hesitation about sharing around it, right? Which is telling in itself, right? Yeah. And, and in those situations, sometimes you need to break down barriers, mm -hmm. right? Um, I, I am a big believer in trying to build bridges between people through experience. You know, it's, it's really helped me in hiring. This is a good tip for people looking for their first job is to use their past experience to build those bridges, mm -hmm. right? So um, when I asked people about work-life balance, you know, I mentioned things like I have a young son, you know, and I particularly mentioned that if, if, you know, they had mentioned something about family commitments themselves, right? And, and you're trying to build a relationship with the person that's interviewing you, right? And so by establishing those commonalities between you, you kind of break down um, their own um, barriers to sharing yeah. and you get much more honest answers, right? So when I ask questions about work-life balance and I, I brought in um, that I have a family with people that had a family themselves, sometimes we even pivoted to talking about what do the weekends look like? You know, are you spending time with your kids? Are you doing work on the weekends, right? And it was a really easy way to find commonality because we weren't so much talking about um, us as um, workers anymore, but we were talking about us as family people and looking after our families, right? Um, I, I really encourage people to try to find those moments in interviews to make those connections with people um, because they're going to bring you closer together. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the that's the type of stuff too, that I feel like just, I think interview is often a, a game of inches, right? Where it's just kind of nudging yourself a little bit forward in someone's mind, right? And that's the type of stuff that makes you actually stand out to someone rather than just one of, you know, 50 people they talk to, at least they're like, uh, one of the 50 people I talked to who also had a nice conversation about, you know, the, the kids and what they're doing this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, definitely interviews are not a, a time to get super personal and overshare, right? Mm -hmm. But these little tiny mentions, I have a young kid, right? That, that can go a long way to building those bridges. Um, and I think for, for, especially for junior engineers looking for their first roles, sometimes they're a little shy about their past. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if they worked, um, I don't know, as a car salesman before, right? Um, they might not be, you know, as forthcoming with that. But in many ways, I think it does give you a leg up. And I'll give you a real example. Um, I was, um, you know, just getting on a few phone calls with somebody that was job searching and trying to help them through it. And, and they said to me, I used to work as a personal trainer mm -hmm. and I don't want to work in a gym again. That's actually why I'm, I'm going into software, right? And I said, well, are you using your background as a personal trainer in your interviews? And they said, no, because I don't want to work as a personal trainer again. And it took a little bit, but we, we kind of walked through why they didn't want to do that, right? What was that experience? And that working in an engineering organization is very different than working as a personal trainer in the same organization, right? Mm -hmm. What ended up happening is they did start to show a little bit more interest in fitness companies because initially they, they were never applying to fitness companies because of this past, right? Mm -hmm but they eventually started applying to more fitness focused engineering companies. 
And then they got a job as a mobile developer on a fitness app and they love it. They're no longer a personal trainer. They don't have the issues that they had with that, but they were able to leverage their experience to build that bridge mm -hmm. and to get a foot in the door, right? Um, so really, really try to embrace your past and find those moments to build those bridges with the people you're interviewing with. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that's such a great piece of advice. I think it's, I have a, a leg up in a lot of recruiter calls, right? Because my, usually most of the time, that's the first touch point you have at a company and I have a lot to relate to with, with individuals, right? So, uh, especially in the Chicagoland area, when most of the time it's someone I, I know in the past, which at first I, I felt a little odd about, right? When I was shifting into uh, the developer side of things, but now I realize like how, I don't know, helpful it is just to be able to lean on some of that or just ask them some re recruiting questions that can again like you said make bridges right yeah yeah and that's that's how i got my first role is in that um of those 50 companies that only two gave me an interview in one of them we we talked about a common interest we had and i i really think that that was the turning point in that interview process mm -hmm. right and and um you know they had a lot of candidates and I'm sure they had a lot of great candidates, but you need something to kind of break those ties, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, totally. Well, I'm curious as far as your own um, personal technical interviewing experience, how do you feel that you do in technical interviews? Yeah, so let's let's um, break the stigma here, right? I don't think people do that well overall. Like they're not that confident in their own technical interviewing mm -hmm. and that's totally normal, right? Yeah. Um, I don't think I do well in highly technical interviews. Um, I've had some horror stories. Maybe we'll chat about those, right? Uh, where I, I've been asked very specific technical questions and I do incredibly poorly. Um, but I do think I do overall well. Um, and I think that's because I, I do try to make more of those connections and I, I try to focus more on the soft skills Mm -hmm. um, I'm incredibly honest in my technical interviews. So if I, if I do get a technical problem that I don't feel comfortable in, I'm, I'm very upfront with saying that I, I don't have experience in this, right? Mm -hmm. And reasoning with them about it. Um, and I, I think, you know, it's important to note for many people that it's okay in interviews to, to take a pause and say, hey, you know, I feel lost, right? Mm -hmm. Or I'm not sure of what to do here. Um, that's totally fine. And, and, and a tactic I've used to, you know, kind of rebound in those situations and do better overall in the end. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. As I'm sure everyone's been in that situation where you go, Oh no, I, I either I, I'm lost because I've just kind of, you know, been thinking and now I've gone down a, a wrong trail or, you know, they just, in that kind of fear mode when they get a question they don't know at all. I, I'm curious, like, is that literally what you would say is like, I'm lost here. Like, I, I don't have, you know, I don't know where, where we're going uh, or what would you actually say in that interview? Cause I think a lot of people are scared of that, right. Or scared of the honesty around it. Yeah. And so in, in a recent interview, somebody asked me about how um, Node.js, the V8 engine behind it, how garbage collection works and stuff like that, right? How does a you know, V8 work underneath the hood? Um, and I was able to give a few things, but I very quickly said to them, this is one area that I know I don't have much information in. Mm -hmm. And it's actually why I'm interested in joining this company because I know you guys do have a lot of engineers that are very smart in these areas 
and I would be keen to learn from you, mm -hmm. right? And so in that statement, you know, I was trying to say, um, you know, the honesty of the situation, but also the willingness to learn um, and also giving a little bit of credibility to the company and, and why I thought it was a good fit, right? Yeah. Um, a, a story popped into my head just a minute ago with uh, a junior candidate I was working with who um, we would get on calls after their technical interviews and talk about how it went, right? And a common theme from them was that it didn't go well. And, you know, they got tough problems. They didn't know how to solve them. And they felt it went poorly. And we would talk through it. And, and, you know, yes, they were right that when they were asked the question, they did not have a solution immediately. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think a lot of us, we, we, we think at that point, I'm not doing well. Mm -hmm. But what with this individual, as we talked through and they, they continued to elaborate and they said, okay, well, then I started working with them. And we were collaborating and they threw out some solutions. And then I built one of those solutions. And I said, oh my God, that's successful. You know, that's exactly what you want to do in those situations, right? If you can develop that rapport and work together with somebody to solve the problem in the end, even if it wasn't your original solution, I think you've passed that interview. Mm -hmm. um, and for full transparency, they did. They got the call back and they were moved to the next step. It's almost more telling, right? As an interviewer, if you're able to go through that process with someone and actually, you know, you're learning more than someone just says, "Oh, here's the solution," and then codes it in, you know, two minutes. You don't really learn a lot other than they know how to solve this particular problem, right? Right, and you know, even as when when I'm giving the interview to people, right? Oftentimes, the technical problems I'm giving, um, I don't have all the solutions. I don't even know the best solution. Yeah. And it's sometimes refreshing to hear various ideas and to work with somebody. Um, you know, you asked me about my, how do I evaluate technical interview questions, right? Mm -hmm. Part of it isn't so much about the solution. It's that, did we work together? Were mm -hmm. we, um, you know, a cohesive team to ultimately finding a solution together? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a scary thing um, for a lot of people. I mean, anyone who's watched the technical portions of this show know that like, there's very often sections where I go, I, I don't, I don't necessarily know how to even probably more so in more recent episodes where if questions are more complicated and I don't immediately have a solution, like there is a moment of like, Oh, I have to ask for help. Right. And it, it's a mental shift that's difficult to do. And I think especially difficult if you haven't had a, you know, an hour long conversation with someone before and that you already know. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think the honesty is such a, a critical part too. Uh, Cause I think that's something that's so key to keep in mind. That's just like really difficult to do in interviews. Uh, have you built up that skill of just feeling more comfortable saying that? Or is it still hard for you every time when you're in a position where you have to kind of ask for something or be honest about it? It's gotten easier. This. Yeah. You know, like any muscle, the more you, you um, flex it, the easier it gets. Um, you know, for, for many people in these situations, um, it is scary, right? Um, let's be real, interviewing is, is not fun for most of us, right? Mm -hmm. um, even in my process, I mean, I stayed up late, I was anxious, you know, my wife can attest to that. Um, but at the end of the day, it's less scary than you think. Mm -hmm. The interviews in my experience are always easier than you think they will be. Mm. 
So, you know, for anybody that's nervous out there, just know that, that generally speaking, you're going to come out better than you went into it. And it's going to be easier and less stressful than, than you think. Yeah, absolutely. I get a certain amount of anxiety before doing any of these podcasts, mostly because I go, ah, we got this technical portion and it's at the end and it kind of builds up. And then I realize like, it's not even a real interview too. Right? Yeah. Like, so I, I, it's, it's such a, an interesting, but what is useful is actually looking back when I see, oh, there's some early episodes where I was asked a problem and I was asked a similar problem, you know, we're only a couple months later. And all of a sudden that problem that seems so difficult is now much easier, right? So it is the thing that it's, it's a skill set you build and it's kind of the whole premise of the, the show, right? Yeah. How have you felt, you know, the, the relative difficulty of interviews um, before and after the interview, right? Your own perspective of them. I think I... I think it's a fear thing, if nothing else for me, and more of a fear of the unknown, right? If it's a, uh, I, in the back of my head, I'm always like, oh, they're going to ask me to do something with link lists. I don't know how to do, and I'm just going to have to tell them, I don't know how to do this. And then we're going to, it's going to be 45 minutes of pain, <laughs> right? Of, yeah. of working through it. Um, I think that that's literally what's always in my head. And then usually, even if it's something I don't know at all, um, we can work to something. And even if it was link list stuff, we could work to some type of solution, right? It's never right. gone so poorly. Um, I feel like yeah. it's always been productive afterwards. And that was my experience. I mean, with this last job search, the first month or so of it, I definitely practiced more in that area. Mm -hmm. I definitely prepared for harder, more computer science-y, right, interviews. Mm -hmm. But in the second half of uh, this process for me, I stopped. And mm -hmm. I, I, I even stopped really I shouldn't say preparing, but instead of um, in, instead of focusing on new knowledge in my preparation, mm -hmm. I focused on reinforcing prior knowledge mm. and practicing being comfortable. Yeah. Right. So, you know, early interviews, I would look at, um, you know, my notes of linked lists before mm. the technical interview and later interviews, I would get on and I would do like find how many of a character is in a string. You know, mm -hmm. it's a very, very basic problem. Um, but I would practice it for half an hour before the interview just to get comfortable, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's, I mean, that that's really what it comes down to. There's also a, a difference between being able to do something, you know, before when you're working out on your own and then all of a sudden you have to kind of come up with that solution while talking and while interviewing. And if you're not comfortable with it, then that is a whole added level of complexity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm curious, do you have a system that you use to break down technical interview questions? Let's say you're in a position that where you go, Oh, I, I don't have an immediate solution. Right. What do you do from there? Uh, I, I follow general advice in this, that, you know, you need to start with a lot of qualifying questions mm -hmm. and, you know, specifically in the situation you're giving, I just start asking some really, really basic questions over and over and over, right? Almost to the point that like, I feel like I'm an idiot for asking these questions, right? But I'm, I'm trying to get the wheels going in my head to, to, to get to a solution, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, if you ever do get into that situation, that's my recommendation is, is just start asking as many questions. Mm -hmm. You know, as silly as they can be, like they're asking you a very basic algorithm, you just ask, oh, do I have to worry about doing this 10 billion times, you know, and, and taking it to an extreme because just by asking questions, you'll start to understand the problem more and the ideas will start to flow. And you also break down your own nerves. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Um, to be on, on that, my system, um, like I said, it follows that standard advice of, you know, asking questions and documenting an approach, right. And then starting to implement it. The one thing I really focus on, on in this approach um, is at the very end, doing more QA of it and walking through it, you know, really not just, um, you know, putting down the, the whiteboard marker and say, I'm done, but to actually go back and, and use a scenario to walk through all the code you wrote or the problem you wrote and to talk then about um, improvements, hmm. right? I think preemptively, a lot of interviewers are, are looking for you eventually, you know, they might even ask you, you know, about various issues and improvements. And I try to preempt that a little bit and talk about that myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. I, I think a lot of early career folks can get in a, a spot where they know they have some type of solution or maybe some type of idea of how it would work. And they think this isn't the best way though, or they know there's a better way. Uh, I, like you said, if you can at least mention that, I think you check a certain box, right? Um, and what I, you know, net, can solve a lot of problems with nested loops that you could probably also solve with a hash, right? And like, that's something that um, when I'm talking to, to or doing mock interviews with, with early career engineers, I can often say, even if you don't know how to solve with hash yet, uh, you can mention, you know, I, I would probably use this exactly. uh, if I had more time, right? Yeah, that's critical. And I, I do that in my interviews as a senior engineer. Um, fall back on something that you know will work and be honest about it, right? Um, a lot of these problems, people think, you know, how do I scale it and everything? How is the best solution? Um, I kind of say, screw that. And I say, you know, what is something that I know will work? And then we can always improve it from there. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's critical to be honest with people about that. And a lot of these things, solution architecture, particularly, I just say, we're going to use a relational database. You know, a lot of people think you go to um, non-relational databases right away for scalability reasons. Right. But you know, I throw it back and I say we've 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 got a lot of knowledge on relational. Mm -hmm. Almost every engineer can use them, and they scale better than people think they can. So let's just solve it the simple way, and then we can talk about as we grow the system what we change about it, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean to your point exactly. Like just start with something simple and then mention where you might need to improve it in the future. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, this this is. Broad, but any other advice or tips for engineers going into technical interviews? I mean, it sounds like be comfortable is huge. Um, making it more conversational and actually trying to bridge, um, make bridges with folks. Those are some some big things you mentioned. But anything else that seems important to you? No, I think I think we've covered it. You know, I, and I watched some of your other shows, and I think other people have kind of hit on this. But just to reiterate, you know, if you're already in that interview, they already like you. They already mm -hmm want to hire you um totally. most of the time the momentum's in your favor and they've already done a pretty good job de-risking you from a technical perspective mm -hmm. and now it's really just making sure everything checks out right so when you go into these interviews try to and i know it's really really hard right i'm not trying to belittle this situation but try to relax and kind of know that um you're doing well already mm -hmm. and you don't have to um really really you know impress you know, you just have to reinforce what's already on your resume and the experience you've had and, and generally, you know, find those gaps and, and make it clear that you're going to work well together. You know, as you mentioned that, it's kind of interesting. I think there's this idea that interviews get easier as people get more, more senior. I don't know if that 
maybe you get more familiar with without a code, but I also think there's an aspect of if you're already in a job, that's perfectly fine. Right. And you're not really, you don't have to make a move. I think a lot of um, what makes interview easier is that being comfortable, right? You go, well, if this doesn't go, go well, I can, I still have my day job, right? And I like my day job, so that's fine. Uh, I think that's something that the more senior you get, I think it's easier to fall into that. And maybe that makes interviews easier as well. Yeah, yeah, and it's tough. I mean, um, you know, it's been years since I've been kind of in that junior searching role, right? Um, I did it actually when moving from consulting into startups as I was looking for product management roles and I was interviewing for like junior product management roles, right? Mm -hmm. But it's, it's sometimes hard to, step back into those shoes. So I know it's really difficult for people. Um, you know, one thing maybe to think about though, is that eventually, you know, you are going to get a job and it might take a year or two, but you're going to be at that point where you are more experienced and things get easier. Right. So just trust that you will get there, um, and build towards that future. Yeah. Great. Uh, well, before we move into the technical portion, any interview horror stories uh, you're, you're willing to share? I know you alluded to a few here. Um, yeah, I've definitely had some, some horror stories um, on both sides. Uh, some of them I don't want to share, right? Uh, personal. The two I, I think I can, um, one is I was interviewing with a fang company Mm -hmm. Um, and I went through all of their hoops. I did, you know, multiple rounds. I did the on-site six plus hours in one day interviews. Right. Um, and I felt really, really good about it. And then they sent me a last interview mm -hmm. and the person grilled me on, um, low level C programming language stuff. And I, as I've already mentioned to you, I, I just don't do well on these like incredibly technical and some of it's even just silly. Like they asked me, what happens when you um, add one to the max integer, right? What is, you know, the, the compiler or at runtime, right? What happens in those situations? And, and I got it wrong. Um, and they later called me, the, the recruiter, and they even asked me, you know, do you know where the process went wrong for you? And I, I said that question, they said, yeah. And, and it was just such a shocking defeat that, you know, I'd been through hours and hours and hours and, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh -huh. um, yeah, so uh, that was fun. Um, I, I did really enjoy that process though, besides that last step. Um, I guess the only other one I'll share is uh, when um, I had a first round interview with a company and the person I was interviewing with um, came off really poorly on the call. Mm. Um, and I, it was a horror for me, right? Because I just felt like the interview went terrible, but it wasn't my fault. It was, you know, the other person. Um, and I had to calm myself down and, and, you know, to other people out there, if you ever have an interview with a bad interviewee, um, no, it's not your fault, but also, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think that the person was going from call to call to call that day and they got on the call with me. And they just weren't ready. And it just, it just was a, it wasn't set up to be successful. Yeah. Um, this story has a happy ending. I, I later went and I had a second round interview with the same person and they were fantastic. Hmm. You know, they were a great individual. They, they gave me a fantastic interview. We had a great rapport. I, I came out of that interview thinking the world of that person. Um, and I realized, yeah, that that first interview probably just was bad timing. 
So, you know, in those situations, try not to take them too personally, um, you know, because you never know what's going on on the other end of the phone. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the earlier in the process it is too, the more likely you are to run into those things where someone's bouncing from call to call and you're just, you, so there's not a lot of prep time usually, right? So your call might not go well. So. Yeah, yeah. And we're all human. We've all got stuff going on in our lives. So it's important, you know, throughout this all to, to treat people with respect and, and not, you know, assume too much, right? Mm -hmm. It could have just been a bad day. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, let's move into our, our break here. And then uh, when we come back, uh, we'll work through a technical question. All right. Awesome. Great. Thank you for watching the first half of the professional technical interviewee. The technical interview will be released one week from this episode. So be sure to subscribe to make sure you don't miss it. New episodes are released on the first four Thursdays of each month. Find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And remember, keep practicing.